Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Red Brick Recap. Because um, we don't have a podcast in Pride Month, we really want to talk about LGBTQ plus representation today. So we're joined with Gemma from music, Sam from film, and Dash is representing gaming today. Um, just to say quickly, we obviously won't be able to cover everything that this um, very broad subject contains. Um, we hope not to offend anyone, but yeah, all lighthearted. So... I'm going to pass over to my self-professed favourite section, um, Gemma from Music. Yeah, I mean, music is a massive thing for, like, everyone in any different community. It's always kind of a big thing of culture, and particularly with queer culture, I think the the kind of, uh, kind of claiming the sort of cheesy genres of sort of like the 80s music and disco and pop, um, which is really just feel-good music, I think. Um, but a lot of the sort of classic artists, I keep using the word classic, I feel, but like they are like, you know, you've got David Bowie, you've got Freddie Mercury, you've got George Michael, Elton John, like I feel like music is such a massive thing within it. Um, and coming into uh, kind of more modern years, kind of more contemporary music, um, it's starting to be more and more integrated into just general pop which is a really lovely thing because you're getting more and more of the bigger artists are being more open about their sexuality and their gender like if we just think about um harry styles recently with his fashion choices um you've got uh sam smith coming out as non-binary um miley cyrus's roller coaster with her sexuality and it's just it's really nice to see more of this in the kind of in the public sphere and the limelight and all of that and we're getting more <laughs> yeah more big openly lgbt plus artists but like more small artists as well kind of making their way up without having to get big and then come out because that's obviously one of the problems with you know all of the classic artists that i just mentioned you know is that they all had to come out later in their career whereas now you're getting people like um uh troy savan hayley kyoko people like that they're out from the beginning of their careers and that's obviously very reassuring to see people who are openly LGBTQ plus who are just comfortable being who they are and setting that example. It's just really lovely to see. Yeah, I think just continuing from your, your, what you're saying there, Gemma, it's so interesting that so many songs which we didn't even realise have been queer coded for a really long time. Like the Buzzcocks, Evan Forden in Love. I never knew that that song was about um, being... LGBT when I was younger but the lead singer is bi and that's kind of like the point of it but it just be nice to have songs like Girl and Red's Girls which just like explicitly states um her sexuality I think that's really great to see and also especially with the way the music scenes change and the fact that kind of anyone can be an artist these days is so much easier with things like Spotify and SoundCloud um that there gets to be that kind of representation I think as well um one of the other things like obviously there's sorry there's obviously still like a long way to go with it like there's still a lot of heteronormativity particularly in kind of like ballads and things like the use of pronouns it's still very heterosexual a lot of the time and it it always feels like you know when when you're going through uh your kind of your personal experiences you you look to music or at least i do i feel like a lot of people do is that you look to music to kind of relate your experiences there's a lot of stuff out there for women being brokenhearted over men, but there's not much about women being brokenhearted over women. So it feels like your experiences are kind of tailored by the music that's out there. 
Another thing that I just wanted to pop in and say, like with music, is I remember watching a lot of like covers of my favorite songs on YouTube as a as a kid. Like that's just what I'd like to watch. And I always remember any male artist that was covering a song that was about about a woman, like you just said, Gemma, like a woman being heartbroken over a man. Um, any male cover artist would always change the pronouns so that it couldn't be confused that he could possibly be singing about being heartbroken by a man. And I always thought that was so odd to me. Like, are you, like is it that? much of a worry you know just like talk about I don't know I guess LGBT representation in music they were so I don't watch them anymore so I, they could have come out by now I don't know but like they were so keen to steer away from that notion that someone could hear them covering a song that's obviously not their song and think that they're I don't know like that just poses like a really difficult like discussion or dilemma I guess for both the cover artists and the this is the original song. I remember like um, that same note on X Factor like years and years ago now when it was still like massive. Um, there was a guy on there who who did that. He sang a song and he didn't change the pronoun. No, or he did change the pronouns, I think. And one of the judges was like, oh, was there a reason for you to change the pronouns? Like rumor has it that you're, and it's like, who, who cares? <laughs> like why, why make a thing of it like that? And it was so unnecessary and awful. But at least, you know, as far as I'm aware, that's not happened since then so you know progress is being made but it's just ridiculous that it has to be yeah I agree um right speaking on very tight of music I always think Sam from film do you want to give us your two cents I kind of want to like echo a lot of what Gemma was saying about how like there's been gradual progress um like I think you can definitely see that especially in like smaller films these days like the films like Call Me By Your Name Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Moonlight are like huge successes, like critically and like with the public. Um, the kind of films that wouldn't have got made like 20 years ago. But um, at the same time, film isn't quite like as democratic as music can be now with like streaming and stuff. You don't have the same ability to like do something like just you individually. You have to rely on big money from big corporations. And those big corporations want to make money from everywhere in the world. They don't just want to make money from like liberal Western countries and stuff like that. Um, so that kind of results in like censorship or like omission of queer experiences in films and stuff. You know, recently films like Star Wars have had a scene with two women kissing, but that scene has been removed for China and for Russia and for like um, other countries which where being gay isn't quite acceptable. So you kind of have that kind of double standard where they're performing this progressive, progressive nature to uh, liberal countries where it's okay to be gay and it's okay to be LGBT, but um, in other places, those things get removed because you know it doesn't affect the bottom line there and that's what's most important and because film is such a big money business and so many of these big films especially need to make billions of dollars to be profitable they can't afford to represent queer lives properly you know it just has to be the bare minimum and then in some places you don't even get that so I think that there's like a huge issue with these big mainstream films especially like Marvel, Star Wars, and all those things which people love to see, but they're never going to be able to accurately um, reflect the lives of all the people who love seeing them because there's this issue of money all the time. That's not quite as like rosy and optimistic as what you were talking about with music just now, but I think it's like the reality of what's going on. I think kind of leading on from that, that's really the key difference between kind of from a gaming standpoint and from films and music is that there's, there's really nothing stopping anybody from making games. It's not like a film where you at least need a few million to hire out a camera or a song where you'll need to, need to get a record label on hand. There are, kind of, there are indie platforms like Itch and other websites where you can create your own games, basically knock them up in Unity and then stick them out on this platform. And it means that there's this, this huge variety of voices 
that you get in the world of gaming. And so there's there's almost a game for, for every experience and every walk of life. And because it's such a such an interactive medium, you don't sit and watch or listen to a game, you play a game, you're part of the game. It allows you to to experience queer voices in a way which I think no other medium can. That's that's so interesting. Maybe I need to get into gaming then. I I don't know enough about this, but I do. Yeah, I do find it really interesting that it all really comes down to money at the end of the day. Because I'm sure all of you know about the whole Dumbledore thing with how um, J.K. Rowling, after the books were released, said, "Oh yeah, Dumbledore's gay. He's always been gay." Which there's obviously a lot of um, evidence for that in the books. He has a very close relationship with, Gr- with Grindelwald when he's younger. Um, then there's no mentions of relationships since then, especially with any woman. But then when they made the Fantastic Beast film, which had a prequel series with Dumbledore in it, suddenly his sexuality was just completely erased. Um, and I just think it's so sad to see, especially in media like Harry Potter, which a lot of, I mean, loads of teens really clung to that growing up, but a lot of LGBT teens felt some kind of solace in the fact that at least there was one character in there who'd been queer coded but then it was just a raise at the end of the day and yeah and I think that's the same with Disney as well because we've yet to have our lesbian Disney princess. I feel like all three of us there are just like wanting to talk about Dumbledore. Honestly I've never seen a character yo-yo in and out of the closet as much as Dumbledore with the Harry Potter series. It is absolutely ridiculous and I totally agree like I feel like for a lot of LGBT us kids uh, reading and watching Harry Potter. I mean, J.K. Rowling is famous for, you know, having her token characters, but like we all know that in hindsight. And Dumbledore absolutely was just a bait token character. I think I what think, um, sorry, I think what gets me as well is that like, um, as well as being just like queer baiting, like needlessly useless as a representation, it's like um, in the Fantastic Beast film in particular, there's like a whole scene of Dumbledore watching Grindelwald and him in the past. And like, he looked really like thoughtful and like, remorseful about it but then because they're not willing to commit to making them both gay on screen and they dance around it it like completely undermines the, like, the artistic purpose of the scene anyway it's just like a toothless nothing relationship where nothing is specified so nothing matters and then why should we care about the rest of the film because it's so heavily centered on this like supposedly big relationship which they aren't willing to flesh out because money talks and they can't flesh it out properly they may as well have just gone the other direction and not even considered that as part of the story because it's just dragging the whole thing down with it. If they're not willing to commit to it and take the loss of the money, then they can't commit to the artistic purpose of the story in the first place. I think kind of going off going off Dumbledore, I mean, he's obviously a, a very important character in the in the Harry Potter universe. And what I think is is almost more important than queer baiting your your protagonists and main characters is just kind of a, a passive inclusion of, of lots of different types of voices. So before I got on here, I went on Twitter and I, I posed a question, um, tell, tell me about kind of the most meaningful queer experiences you, you had in games. And I mean, I was blown away by the, the sheer volume of responses, but a lot of the ones that I received were just references to games like um, the newest Need for Speed remake or Borderlands where there are plenty of, of queer characters, but they're not pushed to the forefront. It's almost um, a, a representation of, of queer characters outside of queer stories. So it's like, these people do exist. These people do exist in the world. And here's a, a realistic portrayal of them. And I think that really does make a difference, even to uh, 
let's say a, a passive consumer who might just be your your average cishet male does not care at all about queer representation. I think just just seeing all of these different voices in mediums like games and films really does help. Yeah, definitely. And the importance of being able to have your narrative told and having um, aspects in film, game, songs, which really encompass the feelings that you're experiencing. Because I really recommend the YouTube channel Dream Sounds, which makes a lot of videos about uh, LGBT representation in Disney, primarily. And um, this is something I never realised before, but Howard Ashman, who was um, kind of to thank for the Disney Renaissance in the 90s, so he made the music for um, The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, but he actually passed away from AIDS before he could accept his Grammy for best song for Beauty and the Beast. But um, he basically tried, there was a lot of queer coding in his films, so you can kind of listen to songs like Part of Your World and hear his sort of voice as a gay man in the late 80s um, and the, the oppression that he experienced through that. But it's just so sad that I feel like LGBT children, teens and just adults um, can only find some representation through reading into uh, a piece and, you know, picking up signs of pronouns and things like that. And no one actually, there's not still not that kind of concrete representation that I think everyone deserves. I mean, maybe more so in music, a lot in gaming, but in film, I think we still have a way to go, definitely. I think it all just like, like Dad was saying, like it all just comes back to normalization. Like if you've got no queer people in your, you know, music, films, games, whatever, or if you've just got one, like by just having the one, it's still that idea that this is something different and this is something we need to make a point of having. If you've just got it in the background or the foreground and it's, it's, it's just normalization, you know, you just need to have it there as a standard part of whatever's happening. It's by, it's by singling it out, you're always doing the same thing because you're drawing attention to it as kind of an other and that can be just as problematic a lot of the time. I think like um, just a shout out to TV, um, It's a Sin has been like a huge hit recently and um, the creator of that, Russell T Davis, he's gay and he's talked about constantly like um, he thinks that there should be like queer people behind these kind of series you know because they offer that authentic experience and I think that's really interesting because the those people theoretically at least would be able to stand up against like the kind of limp representation we've been talking about like Dumbledore and stuff you know um, and that helps with the normalization because if you have these people who actually live these experiences reflect these like authentic stories and you know emotions and experiences then that makes it that helps make everyone seem more equal and helps like normalize the um, opportunities of seeing these experiences when you might not actually know anyone who's LGBTQ plus in real life um, and I think like things like it's a sin really show how like a story can teach people more than you know like a school can you know I think I've never had people talking about the HIV crisis more in my life than I have right now and I think that shows like the power of that kind of effective authentic representation I really agree and I think definitely more trans representation we can all agree is needed because you know it's such a shame that Sophie um, passed away recently because she was bringing something really interesting to pop and I think that just having more queer voices you know behind the scenes as well and best representation in these big kind of conglomerates of um, of media such as you know the Disney Corporation because if there's just more representation inside the producers, then there's going to be 
more outside of it. I was wondering, Dash, if there's anything in terms of gaming which you think there's better representation, um, you know, not just inside the games, but sort of in the world of gaming as well, whether that helps the sort of representation there. Well, I think there are kind of, if you want to talk about trans representation, I know I know of, of quite a few games that try and represent trans stories authentically. So games like The Missing, which is a, a horror platformer, from a Japanese developer portrays a really authentic and emotional trans story. And um, I know on the on the behind the scenes aspect, I know there's a lot of LGBT plus creators in the games industry. I think it's still it's still very biased towards obviously the straight white male market if you look proportionally. But gradually, gradually things are getting better. And if you if you look at the the kind of the changes in the world of gaming over the last two years, we've gone from, from a situation where only a few years ago, Nintendo in Tamadochi Life, their little life sim game, literally did not allow you to be gay. It was just, it was just not allowed. It was kind of like playing the Sims, but you, you could only romance characters of the opposite gender. And now we've got a point where, where I think most recently with the announcement of Splatoon 3, they've almost, they've done away with any kind of mechanics pertaining to gender entirely instead just just opting for styles so rather than when you're creating a character choose your gender or you can just choose your style and i think that kind of thing is incredibly important because i know i know a lot of friends who have used kind of games like like saints row or final fantasy online things where you have this this really in-depth inclusive character creator as kind of like a, a risk-free way to experiment with your gender identity and kind of and see what you're comfortable with. And I think that's that's another thing that's that's so good about the medium of games is that it's that much more hands-on and you can really kind of make of it what you want. There's a lot of stuff as well that um, up until, I guess, very recently, there's kind of this stigmatised idea that, um, you know, the gamers are all these white men and it's not and like just the the vocabulary around it as well like the idea of the gamer girl uh in that like you're not an actual gamer if you're a girl you know and things like that but um i agree with the the whole idea of the customized character um is lovely because they do that in, in the new animal crossing game um which stick me in a room with someone from the gaming team and i'm obviously going to talk about animal crossing um but that's all it's done by style as well so you choose between two styles, which are just like a short haircut or a long haircut. And then all the way through, um, the pronouns are completely gender neutral, which is really lovely because that's got quite a young demographic at the base of it with that game. So you're kind of encouraging that experimentation from a very young age. And I think that is fab. Oh, I think aside from, from Nintendo as well, it's, it's beginning to slowly seep into even the kind of the, the hyper-masculine dude bro games, like the, um, the latest Call of Duty gave you the option to, to play as non-binary by, it's got a Cold War theme, so they present your gender as redacted, and it's just never, never referred to, which I found quite amusing, and so it's, it's I mean, uh, it's not otherwise a very inclusive game. I've got got a lot to say on the subject of um, killing union leaders on behest of Ronald Reagan, but at least you can be gender neutral when you do it. So baby steps. I think also like I haven't played the new version of Animal Crossing, but um, in my childhood memories of it, the things that I can remember, like there's almost like no, I hope this isn't insensitive to say, but there's almost no need for gender. Like you're obviously little 
animals is that the best way to describe it I don't know like human like but not human in any way and so I think yeah in a way Gemma like why haven't those changes happened sooner like why it's almost odd that we did ascribe gender to these little animal looking things that we sort of became it's just like how I don't know, like recently over lockdown and stuff I've been watching a lot of um on like researching into like a lot of LGBT stuff and I think a lot of the times I just realized how unnecessary like gender norms and everything just are like to, like we don't need them like and I think um that's something that like our generation I think is so much more comfortable with um and so yeah I think it's optimistic for the future I think that that is kind of the situation you end up with it's like you get games like Animal Crossing or media like Animal Crossing where kind of anything to do with gender is is pretty much completely unnecessary but it's it's almost there for I guess for for a maintenance of the status quo or because that's that's kind of the culture designers were were immersed in but just just taking a step back and looking at it impartially you can see that a lot a lot of these elements can just be removed and I mean it makes games more inclusive and it, it almost tidies things up if, if you know what I mean so having having the ability to dress how you like in Animal Crossing got rid of some of the the really annoying mechanics from the earlier games where you'd find a nice outfit and then not be able to wear it because it's been arbitrarily assigned to different gender. I think that definitely speaks to film as well. There's some films like The Imitation Game about Alan Turing where obviously his um, sexuality is going to be a point of trauma for him because it it led to his eventual suicide because it, it was in the 60s. Um, but then there's a lot of big films as well where sexuality is like it causes so much sadness and distress which is true for many people but I, I love watching like films like Booksmart where there just was a gay character and it was mentioned it wasn't just acted it wasn't just portrayed like she was straight but it didn't cause her you know scenes of torment and crying it was just a new um kind of take on the coming of age film and I just love seeing that sort of representation in there. I think like that is a good point like I think it feeds into the uh, like infiltration of like queer stories into like really stereotypical things uh the film that came out a few years ago Love Simon I don't know if any of you guys have seen it but it's like this really like typical like kind of cheesy American high school rom-com coming of age thing and it's just because it's in this like gay template um with this gay main character it kind of makes it feel fresh and interesting um but, like even though it's just really old template for a story and I think that's an interesting kind of like progression of um these like established stories and institutions kind of accommodating new ideas and identities and I think if that is like one baby step towards progress then at least it's kind of like normalizing those kind of ideas in the way you're talking about Catherine. I think kind of the reason things like that feel so so refreshing and so unique is because a lot of the, the kind of gay, particularly representation in media is kind of like this, this weird misery porn where just everything, everything has to be sad. And it has to be like this, this huge coming of age character moment at all times. And it almost comes to define all, all the queer characters you see in media. And it's, it's just so nice to take a break from that. And because obviously there is, there is a need for serious and important discussions but it, it just becomes grating almost when it's it's just constantly this misery fest. On Love, Simon as well, I loved that film. Um, the soundtrack's banging, but that's a whole different thing because that's done by Bleachers. Um, but like, I just loved that it gave um, 
because obviously like you were saying Sam like it's such a overdone format like the whole the whole coming of age high school drama like all of that but it's never been done in a queer way with a queer protagonist and it's just so refreshing to see that to be able to give another demographic that same identification because like growing up if you're straight you've got all of these films to relate to and they're just they're not there for gay kids within the same genre so I, I loved Love, Simon. Yeah so I'd like to say thank you so much for Sam, Gemma and Dash um, offering some very interesting takes on their sections and on behalf of Daisy and I like to say bye and I hope you enjoyed the podcast today and we will see you again in a couple weeks time.